You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast. I have uh, Gene Monterestelli. He's the founder of uh, TappingQA.com. Tapping like tap, tap, tap. Um, we're going to be talking about how tapping, which is, a, I guess, an interesting form of self-therapy, uh, can be used for all kinds of uh, you know things that ail people. So, uh, Gene, thanks for coming. My pleasure. Yeah, I've heard about tapping. I really know nothing about it. But uh, tell me a little bit about uh how you got involved with uh, this, this therapy and, you know, were you one of the early innovators of it? You know, give me a little bit about uh, your background. Absolutely. So about 12 years ago, I was in a situation where social anxiety was starting to become a real problem inside of my life. Um, I was able to stand on stage in front of 8,000 people and it was as easy as breathing. I would fly back home to Baltimore where I lived at the time. I'd get on the shuttle bus to head out to where my car was parked. And it was one of those situations where you didn't push a buzzer or they didn't stop at all of the shells. They just drove until you said, hey, stop. And they'd stop the bus for you. And my social anxiety had gotten so bad, I couldn't do that. Um, I couldn't ask for help in a store. I couldn't answer my own phone. And up to that point, it was just something that I dealt with. And I built my life around managing that. Um, over the course of that particular summer, I was in a situation where I started making choices where as I was accommodating my social anxiety, I was starting to hurt the people in my life. So for example, I had a friend who was trying to do a really big project that I had a bunch of connections that I could help her with, and it required me to make phone calls to connect her with my contacts. And I didn't make the phone calls because I was scared of the phone calls. And then I started lying to my friends, saying, oh, they need to get back to me, or I left a message, just to cover up for the fact that I was struggling so much. And I was having people counting on me, and I was letting them down. And so I realized that I needed to do something about it. And I, on some teleclass somewhere along the way, I had heard about this wacky tapping thing. And so I downloaded a very basic beginner guide on how to do it. And I decided to see if it would work. Now, with the tool, what you need to do is, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, in more detail as we go on, but basically what you need to do is you need to be in touch with the experience that you're trying to transform. So in my case, it was the fear. And so I decided to do the thing that was the scariest thing that I could imagine, which at that point in my life was online dating. And where I lived in Baltimore, there were two neighborhoods that were about a 20-minute walk away from where I lived that had lots of bars, lots of restaurants. And so I would make a connection with someone online, and I'd say, hey, Mount Vernon, pick a place. I love everything. 
and I would literally work this protocol where I'm physically tapping on my body as I walk to the day. For the entire 20 minutes there, I would work the protocol. And over the course of about six weeks, going on a number of dates, I completely eviscerated my social anxiety. It was just something that I no longer dealt with. Now, today, as an experienced practitioner, the way I approached it, I wouldn't do it that way today. I would have done it with supervision. I wouldn't have just thrown myself into it. It's a tool that you can use on your own. I wasn't doing it in the most guided way. Fortunately, nothing went wrong. And so after that experience, I'm like, well, this is really interesting. And so at that point, I really dove in and became a student of the protocol. And over the course of the next two years, studied every single thing I could with every single possible trainer I could find. And so at that point, I started working with clients. I started writing about the protocol. I started podcasting about the protocol. And so that's kind of my origin story and how I got connected with it originally. Where does uh, tapping come from? Like how many years has it been around and what are its origins? Absolutely. So um, tapping, the, the, the points that are used in tapping um, are the exact same points that are used in acupuncture. And in the 70s and early 80s, um, they started to do study around um, the effectiveness of acupuncture. You know, seeing if it really was something that was producing real results, not just people giving anecdotal evidence, but actually diving in and doing studies on it. And what they found was that acupuncture not only was successful for pain management, but it was also successful for depression and phobias. And so Dr. Roger Callahan, who lived in Southern California, was working with his clients and I apologize, I can't remember if he was a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but he was working with clients and he was reading these studies and he was really fascinated by them, but he didn't want to be in a situation where you'd have to go to acupuncture school for a number of years. And so his thought was, I wonder what would happen if we just started tapping on these points instead of sticking needles into the points. And through that process, he found some really amazing success. One of the first case studies that he published was a woman he called Mary. Um, that was a pseudonym to protect her, who was so afraid of water that showering was difficult. They spent 20 minutes using this tapping thing. And because he was in San Diego and his office was kind of in a little pool house in his backyard, in the middle of the session, she jumps up, she goes out to the pool and she starts splashing water on her face from the swimming pool because she had made such a transformation in that period of time. And so he developed something that was called thought field therapy. Thought field therapy is a very effective protocol, but it's pretty complicated that you have to tap in a very specific way, in a very specific order. And so one of his students was a man by the name of Gary Craig. Um, Gary Craig was Stanford-educated engineer, had done some financial stuff, and late in his life just found himself on a spiritual journey and was trying to do his own transformational work. And so he started doing this tapping stuff, and he thought, this is really fascinating, but these algorithms from thought field therapy are really complicated. I wonder what would happen if we just started tapping on all of the points over and over again and not giving much thought to the actual order in which points we're tapping on. Maybe we'll have some small percentage of success. And he had a lot more success than a small percentage. And it was something that he called EFT, emotional freedom technique. 
And Gary was a very effective communicator, had a really, really successful email newsletter and created a bunch of DVDs. And so he was the person that really started in the English speaking world, bringing tapping to the masses. And so from that point on, once it kind of got out in a broader way, people started bringing all of these other technologies and modalities to tapping. So you'd be doing the basic tapping and they would be using an NLP technique or a parts mediation technique or a visualization technique. And so with each individual practitioner over time, there started to be developed all of these different art of delivery where the tapping itself was very much what Callahan had come up with in the generalized way that Craig was teaching, but then took on all of these different flavors because it's something that is useful by itself. Or if you have some other transformational tool set, if you're tapping at the exact same time, it's almost like giving it a supercharger and making it more effective faster. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I just, I saw an old book on acupressure mm -hmm. and that's probably very similar. Instead of tapping, it's pressing on the uh, acupuncture points. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Know, it, a bunch of modalities that, they use the same, you know, similar or same points to help people feel better. Absolutely. You can, you can stick needles into them. You can tap on them. You can touch and breathe them. Um, there's some people that use lasers and point lasers into the points. Um, I have been in circumstances where because of sickness, where literally sitting up and tapping was something that was going to be too much for me, where I would simply visualize the points and just imagine myself tapping on them and would find some small relief from doing that as well. And so it's just accessing the system that is already inside of the body that for thousands and thousands of years in the Far East, they were using through acupuncture and acupressure that we're just using in a slightly different way that is easy for the masses to do. I mean, I, I have been in circumstances where on the back of a bar napkin in three minutes, I can teach someone the basics of how to tap. Now, they're not going to get the comprehensive results of more training or working with a practitioner, but being able to have emotional relief and pain relief in the moment as a triage tool, it's something that you can learn super, super quickly. How powerful have you seen uh, tapping be for certain individuals? Um, so one of the things that I always like to, when I'm talking about how powerful something is, is that Power is about the value in a person's life. So I'm going to give you two examples that are radically different, but show what power means to different people. So for me, the most extreme thing I have seen is um, a friend of mine that I grew up with. I have two friends of mine. They ended up marrying each other. Um, one of their children um, was on the autism spectrum. And when he was six years old, he was super social, which isn't typical always of people who find themselves on the spectrum. But the thing that he was struggling with was um, communication. And because he was social, they knew they could probably mainstream him in the classroom, but they wanted to improve his language skills. They thought, well, let's send him to a language lab. And so the day that he arrived for the intake process at the language lab, they assessed him having the verbal skills of a 20-month-old or a 22-month-old, which is basically um, one and two-syllable words. You can string as many as five words together in sentences, and that's about it. And so he was just short of six years old at this time. So at that time, just coincidentally, I had seen some research around tapping and autism and how it might be helpful. And so I reached out to my friends and I said, I don't know if this will work, 
but this is what the research said. We can try something. And they said, sure, why not? But it's not invasive. It's not going to cause any problems. There's no medications. Let's give it a try. So two weeks later, their child goes back to the language lab for the first day at the language lab. It was two weeks after the initial testing. And um, they immediately sent him home from the language lab because he now had the verbal skills of a five and a half year old. Now, he didn't learn a bunch of words over the course of those two weeks, but instead, because of the tapping, we were able to provide transformation inside of him so that neurologically, he was able to function in a way that he wasn't before. So it wasn't that he now learned how to speak, but because there was less, this is a non-technical term, but this is kind of the way I think about it. Because of the reduction in the neural static inside of his brain, he could formulate longer sentences. He could access larger words. So that's that's a, a really extreme dramatic thing. And I have never seen anything like it. I don't want to create unrealistic expectations, but that is something I have seen true to life in my experience. The other example I like to give about talking about the power of tapping is I received an email from one of my clients and the email simply read, I made three phone calls today. Now, making three phone calls isn't that big of a deal, but she was in a circumstance where making an outgoing phone call was something that was an impossibility for her. And she was a teacher and she spoke in public and she didn't have any sort of social anxiety problems out in the world. And the fact that she was now making phone calls, one of them of those three calls was about applying for a new job that she was going to enjoy more and then was going to pay her better. That was a super powerful transformation in her life. Even though it was a small thing, reducing the fear around making a phone call, I couldn't do it. I now feel comfortable doing it because of that transformation. The power in her life was huge, even though from the outside, the transformation might look really small. Yeah, that's amazing. So um, can you tell me a, a few things about tapping? You know, what would you tell someone that knows nothing about it? It's one of those things that, you know, learning how to tap is freely available lots of places. So there's a couple of things that when I'm sharing the basics of tapping that I always share with people. Uh, number one is, um, and there was actually a book, um, The Science of Tapping, that was just published last month by uh, Dr. Peter Stapleton, um, who teaches at Bonn University in Australia, where she did this comprehensive collection of all of the research papers from all over the world. And so the things that we do know is it's a mechanical process. When you stimulate these points, there is a change to the amygdala, and there is an immediate drop in cortisol levels in the body. That we can measure that in both the saliva and in the bloodstream. And so it is a tool that returns your body from a flight or fight state into a growth heal state. And so even if you were only doing that, it becomes a really powerful tool. The second thing that I always tell people is the goal of tapping, because it's oftentimes used around emotional things, fear, resistance to taking action, overwhelm, is that the goal of tapping is not to eliminate emotions. We're not turning people into emotionless people, but instead what we're doing is we're trying to create a well-informed, proportionate emotional response. So as I sit here in my home office in Brooklyn, um, if I am afraid of lions because there is one nine miles away in the Bronx Zoo, that is a disproportionate emotional response. 
Now, it's appropriate if I'm standing in the lion cage for me to be really scared. But if I'm not leaving my apartment because there is this lion in the Bronx Zoo, it's too big. And so when we're doing the tool set, what we're doing is we're just trying to get our emotions to be in check because it's okay that we are overwhelmed, sad, angry, afraid. Those are natural things that we're experiencing. And this is a tool to help us do it in a way, in the way that makes sense for the context we're in. So the basics of the tool itself, and for listeners, you know, if you just search EFT or tapping points, you'll see a little diagram. It's hard to explain in just audio form, but the formula is really simple. You tune into the issue at hand, be it a physical pain or the emotion, and you tap on the tapping points. So for example, let's say um, I have a sales call later this afternoon, and I've been putting the sales call off all week because if they say no, it's, it's an opportunity that is lost. And it's easy for us to fear the things that have negative consequences, that the way we keep ourselves safe is not to do it. And so all I would do is I would move from tapping point to tapping point just articulating out loud what is happening and why I feel that way. And it would be as simple as, as I tapped, I would say something as simple as, I have a sales call this afternoon that is really super important. And if the person says yes, I'm going to get a chance to do work that I love and my business is going to grow and I need the money. And there is a part of me that is afraid that they're not going to like what I'm offering. There's a part of me that's afraid they're going to judge me. There's a part of me that's afraid they're going to say no. But I recognize the fact if I'm fully present to the call and I hear the potential client's need, I'm going to be able to communicate clearly and they're going to make a good choice. And so I would just say that script as I was moving from tapping point to tapping point on the body. Basically for me, with each phrase or each sentence, I move on to the next tapping point. And what that does is it moves my fear from the place that is so big I'm not making the call to a place where I have the appropriate sense of urgency because I can't be laissez-faire about the call. I need to be aware that I need to be on my game. I need to present myself at my best, but I can do that from a sense of urgency and presence, not from a sense of fear. And so when we're able to use it in this way, we then can use it for something small about this task that is in front of me or something large that is impacting my life where I'm just peeling off those little things. And so in giving folks those examples, that becomes then the introduction for them to try. How long does it take, take to get an effect? So again, you know, a few yeah. minutes or 20 minutes? Well, and again, effect is, com- effect is completely contextual. You know, it depends on the thing that we're tapping on, how big it is and how long it's been around and how the particular belief or fear or trauma was created. You know, oftentimes for physical discomfort or a craving, I can do two or three rounds of tapping in 90 seconds and I can eliminate it. When I'm feeling really overwhelmed in the middle of the day and I have a bunch of tasks I need to do, I can tap for 90 seconds and I dive into the next task. When I finish that task and I look at my to-do list, it comes roaring back. Then I do another 90 seconds of tapping. I get myself clear. I do the next task. And at the other end of the spectrum, you know, I have clients who are dealing with serious sexual trauma that was repeated from their childhood. And when we're dealing with something like that, that can be multiple sessions over the course of multiple months. 
Now, the protocol is significantly faster in that setting than talk therapy and other therapies that are available, but it's something that's going to take longer. So it depends. And the other thing is, is what does success mean? I mean, let's, let's take a craving, for example. So right now, as I sit at my desk in the middle of the day, my door, office door is closed, so we have a nice quiet room for the recording. On the other side of the door is some leftover Easter candy. And on a scale of zero to 10, as I imagine that, my mouth starts to salivate a little bit, and I would say the craving is like a seven from zero to 10. But because I'm having a compelling conversation, I'm in the middle of the workday, if I did a little tapping, I would only need to get that craving down to a five, and I wouldn't get up and eat the chocolate. But tonight, when I go out to a friend's house for a party, and the entire countertop is covered with desserts, and I know that I don't want to eat a lot of desserts, getting that craving from a seven to a five isn't going to be enough for me to make a good choice. And so I'm going to have to spend more time tapping there. And I would probably excuse myself and go into the bathroom and just tap for a couple of minutes. And I would need to get that craving down to a two or a three in order for me to make a good choice. And so when we say, what is successful? Well, there are degrees of success in everything that we do. You know, if you're afraid of speaking That's in true. public, is success, well, I'm afraid to speak in public and now I can speak in front of 25 people. Well, depending on the context, that might be success because you're never going to be in front of an audience larger than 25 people. If you want to be a professional speaker, you're going to need to be able to be comfortable in front of 600. And so we do a little tapping. Now you're comfortable in front of 25 people. We do some more tapping. Now you're comfortable in front of 75. And so the space that feels safe for you gets bigger and bigger. And so success becomes a relative thing to what we want to do and what is the context that we're doing it within. So, okay, it seems like uh, the thought process while you're tapping is uh, is critical. Um, mm -hmm. And people use this for learning reinforcement. Let's say you're studying a new subject. You need to tap it in to get it uh, get it in your head faster, easier. Or yeah, let's say so just reading. Can you yeah, tap so while you read not, and improve comprehension? And so it's not an issue of tapping it in. Whenever I'm in a learning circumstance, what I'm doing is I'm tapping on my resource state so that when I am learning, I am less distracted, I am more focused. And so then my learning ability increases because I am the best possible me when I'm sitting down to learn. So it's less of an issue of I am thinking of this fact, and every time I tap on one of those tapping points, it is going deeper and deeper into my brain. It's not that. But for me, it's more of a process of putting myself in a state where I am the best learner I can be. And if I do that, because, I mean, let's say that you're sitting down to learn something and you're worried. Oh, this is too hard. I need to learn this quickly. Well, what happens is you go into flight or fight. And when we go into fight or flight, our capillaries in our brain immediately squeeze shut because they're pushing all of the oxygen in our bloodstream down to our legs so we can run away. Well, if I'm sitting down to study, there's no danger I need to run away from. But if I'm worried about learning, there's no oxygen in my brain, so it makes it really, really hard. And so if I take 35 seconds and just do a little tapping to be present in my body and to know that this isn't dangerous, then stress hormone reduces. We talked about that. Cortisol level goes down. 
capillaries open back up, oxygen rushes back to my brain, and all of a sudden, I'm a better learner because I'm in a really good resource state. The exact same thing is true when we're trying to recall that information. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with that sensation when you sit down to take a test or you get up to speak and your mind goes blank. It's the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Our capillaries have squeezed shut and there's no oxygen in the brain. So when we tap, the oxygen comes back and all of a sudden, because we're in a good resource state, we have access to all of that information in our brain. Now, I'm not going to tap and magically know new information that I didn't study, but if I have gathered the information in the past, when I'm trying to access it, I'm going to be able to access it so much easier because me as a machine is running efficiently, optimally. When you said the capillaries, I thought you said tabularies for a second. <laughs> I think it'd be a funny thing. You should incorporate right. that. You know, like here's your That's capillaries. Right. You know, capillary or capillary. Yeah, you open up your capillaries. You know, mm -hmm. uh, any any uses that people have tried to put tapping to, or just doesn't jive, or you know, I don't know. Are there any? You know, there's a world of tapping, right? And tapping teachers and practitioners and all that. Any unusual things from the, the, the dark corners of this world or the far corners of this world you've, you've experienced? The most maybe, maybe you don't do it. You've just seen yeah, it. Yeah. The most interesting request I have received on my website, because my website is built tapping Q&A, like you mentioned at the top of the show, where people ask questions. Like, that's how I started. I was just answering people's questions and sharing information. The most interesting question I ever received was a guy emailed me and asked if it was possible to grow another set of adult teeth, like a third, like we have our baby teeth and our adult teeth. He wanted a second set of adult teeth because his first teeth set of adult teeth had been so cavity ridden and were so full of metal. Um, and I did not have an answer as an effective way of doing that particular thing. Um, so that's the oddest request I've heard. Um, the thing that I think is really important with tapping or anything else is as much as I love tapping, I am not one of those people that says tapping is the only solution or the best solution. For me, the most important question is how is it working for you? And if it's working, you keep doing it. And if it's not, you try something different. And it might be a new application of tapping or it might be doing something different. The other thing is, is just because tapping is good for something doesn't mean you should be tapping on it. For example, tapping is amazing for disassociate identity disorder. And if a client came to me with that, I would do more harm than good because that is something that is so specialized of a type of treatment that there is no possible way I'm going to be helpful in that setting. And so just because it's good for something and just because it's easy to do, it's always really important to check yourself that if you are not, if you are not qualified to work on an issue without tapping, tapping does not qualify you to work on that issue. It's just a tool that makes your work even better. And I would think that, you know, there's, you can't get to all points in yourself, especially let's say you're overweight or you're not flexible. So I bet there's tapping protocols where you work on yourself, but isn't there like partner tapping where you and someone else will tap each so, other? Yeah. Or is that, it, so, that so a couple of things. So one is when you see the list of tapping points, you don't have to use them all, you know, because some people are in a circumstance, you know, where the tapping point is really super tender and they don't want to tap on that point. And that's fine. 
Um, there are there are certainly times in which tapping on another person is a really beneficial thing. I love teaching parents how to tap with their kids where they're getting the chance to do the physical touch. So they're leading the kids through an exercise of some sort where they're debriefing the day and eliminating the stress so they get a good night's sleep so they're healthier when they get up the next day. And there are lots of kids that love having mom or dad do that tapping onto them. And so it's certainly a valid way of doing it. From a practitioner point of view, you know, each state, each country has its own laws about who's allowed to touch whom and what you're allowed to do. And so if you're working with a friend and you are consenting adults, that's a great thing. It's a completely different thing for me in a therapeutic setting here in New York State on what I can do and what I can't do. But it's certainly a valid application of, again, how the points are stimulated is less important than the fact that the points are stimulated. The other thing that happens, you know, another application of this is I have had clients who've been in a circumstance where they're so emotionally distraught that, I mean, they're in such tears and pain that tapping on themselves is actually a step too far. Like they can't even focus enough to do that. And so having a loved one tap on them is something that brings the initial emotion down enough so that in the person, if they then want to continue tapping on themselves, they can do that. Have you ever heard of someone that does like a tapping massage or, you know, a physical tapping session and they offer that you know, to people? I haven't heard of that, but I don't think it is something that is outside the realm of possibilities. Yeah, I just wonder if you went to like a massage therapist and they had, the, you know, it's just another modality if they uh, incorporated yeah, I, I, this. I, I, and I do know a number of massage therapists who are trained in tapping and talk about with their clients and teach their clients to it. And so I am willing to bet that as they are working in the body, they're using those points intentionally while they're doing that. And they're not just thinking in terms of the musculature, which they're trained to do in massage, but lay this over the top. That That is something that makes total sense. Well, what if you compare the effect of um, the physical effect versus the mental and physical combination? Yeah, so let's say I'm tapping on myself. Or I'm, well, let's say if I'm tapping on myself, it sounds like it's a lot better for me to think of what I want to achieve, what state while I tap. But if you're tapping on someone else, you know, if you're doing like a therapy on them, let's say, does it help at all for you to think anything or it has to be the recipient that thinks something while you tap on them for any so, yeah. Yeah, the, mo the most effect is the person who wants the transformation needs to be tuning into what is going on, how the points are stimulated. And at the exact same time, and, and you know, on some level, we're co-creating our relationship with everyone else. And if you and I are sitting here and you're really distressed, even me sitting here thinking warm, healing, encouraging thoughts for you is not a bad thing. Because if nothing else, I am showing up differently in your presence. And the way that I sit across from you is going to be helpful. Now, I just I recently did an interview for my podcast with someone who is uh, specializes in grief and loss, and she was just talking about how vital it is to sit with someone who is in grief and loss, just supporting, not asking anything of them. And so, anytime we are present in the resource state of health, well-being, healing, and love, that is going to benefit the person we are with. So obviously, when I am working with my clients, it is not a mechanical process. Like I am holding space for them, wanting what is best for them. 
And like you said, it is the person who is looking for the transformation. Them focusing in on it is the thing that is most effective and most important. Okay. Well, very good. Um, it's been a good call. What's, uh, what are some resources for listeners? So they, they can go to tappingqna.com. Yep. Uh, and then any other resources out. for them? Yeah. Well, if you go to tappingqna.com, uh, there's a couple of things on there. First, there's a beginner's guide that's a PDF that shows you everything. Um, and then there's a podcast about the protocol where each of the episodes is about a particular application, like I just talked about grief or fibromyalgia. So if you click on the podcast tab, uh, there are currently um, 10 years of podcast, over 450 of them. I think we're closing in on about 190 wow. hours. So if there is a topic, like if once you learn the basics and then you're like, well, I'm struggling with weight or overwhelm or grief or something like that, as you search through the archives there, you will find a conversation with someone who specializes in that application of tapping. And so that is that is a great place to go. Um, the other thing is, because it's, it's such a visual thing, if you search EFT or tapping on YouTube, uh, the wealth of resources you're going to find there are amazing. I would highlight my friend, Brad Gates, um, who lives in the Bay Area in north of in Northern California. If you just search in YouTube, Brad Yates um, Tapping or EFT, uh, he has been producing YouTube videos for close to a decade where you will actually see him tapping along to an issue. So it makes you more comfortable because it looks silly and it feels silly. And if you're trying to learn this on your own, I could see how you're going – this is too weird. I'm just going to stop. But if you get a chance to see a couple of people do it, and my website, I have some videos as well. It's just not as comprehensive as Brad's. Um, it'll make it easier for you to go, okay, it looks weird, but I now know what I'm doing, which makes it easier to do. Then one, one last question I forgot to ask. Um, are there, can you get plenty of effect with a few points or are there points that are not accessible to you? Like let's say center of your back. That yeah. someone else has to do in order for you to get effect? So when you look at the tapping, if you search for tapping online and you find a drawing of the shortcut version or the longer version, all of those points are on your face, on your chest, and on your hands. So for most people, they're pretty accessible. But the reality is any of the points that you see on an acupuncture chart are going to work really well. Um, when Callahan was originally developing thought field therapy, he just went to the end of the meridian channels and chose those as the points to start. And they're not even all precisely that, but he just figured if I get near the end, then maybe we're getting the whole thing. Um, so there are tapping points all over the body. So if you're looking at an acupuncture chart, any of the points on an acupuncture chart are going to be useful and beneficial when you're doing it. And so you can find all sorts of points beyond what you'd see. So again, the most important question, how's it working for you? You know, there are times in which one of the points we call the collarbone spot because it's on the collarbone where that's the only point I need to tap. Like if I am, if I'm stressed in the moment, I can just reach up and be tapping on that point, tuning into my stress. And I don't have to be doing the full protocol and going through all the points. Just that one is enough for me. I have a friend, they do the exact same thing, but for whatever reason, there's a tapping point on the chin is the one that makes them calm quickly. And so it's just an issue of, you know, trying it out. The beautiful thing is you can try it on your own. And assuming you're not like poking an open wound or poking your own eye out, it's really difficult to do damage trying it on your own. So as you try it, you'll get the opportunity to see what works best for you. Okay. Well, Gene, thanks for being here. This has been a really interesting call. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. I love talking about it.
You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.